You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. It's the 28th of November, 2023, and I'm joined by my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing British Land Co., Compass Group, Cranswick, Polar Capital, Britvic, and our US company of the week is NVIDIA. John, should I start us off with British Land Co.? Yeah, and I think it's one you used to own, wasn't it, Sam? It is, yeah. I'm not sure why, though. Uh, <laughs> so I've never particularly liked it, but it was one I had mm, earlier on. It was, I guess it's one of those sort of safer, hmm. stodgier ones. But yeah, I did used to own it, not not for a huge amount of time, actually. British Land Co. have come out with their half-year results and their like-for-like net rental income. I should mention it's a property REIT, by the way, for anyone who's not familiar with it. And their like-for-like net rental income rose 2.1% in the half, which added £4 million to rents. This helped underlying profit rise to £142 million from £138 million. Total occupancy across the portfolio was 96.2%, with particular strength from retail parks and London Urban Logistics. The valuation of the group's portfolio has been affected by higher interest rates, falling 2.5% to £8.7 billion. The decrease was entirely driven by campus valuations falling 4%. British land loan-to-value rose to 36.9%, up from 36%, reflecting lower valuations and higher capital expenditure. Estimated rental value growth is expected to be at the top end of the guidance ranges, including growth of 3 to 5% for retail parks. An interim dividend of 12.16p was announced, which was up 4.8%, and the shares rose 6.2% following the announcement. So the London campus portfolios have been a focus area recently, and what they do is they take high-grade office facilities and then they add in retail, leisure and hospitality facilities as well as carefully designed public spaces. And occupancy for the campuses is back in the 90% bracket and significant renewals from companies like Meta are showing the demand for the space. The 53-acre Canada Water Development is the latest venture for the campus portfolio, and that's got total costs in the range of $4 and is a step to try and further diversify from retail. But to try and reduce the risk and some of the obligations, they have decided to sell a 50% stake of the project. Retail parks remain very resilient with occupancy rates at 99%. And the company is paying out 80% of its profits as dividends. In terms of the valuation, the business trades at a PE ratio of 11.4, and that compares to a 10-year average of 18.2. And the prospective yield in the next 12 months is 7.1%, and that compares to a 10-year average of 4.8%. You see what the share price has been doing recently. Yeah, it's down 40% in five years. in three years and 14% in one year, but it is up 18% this month. I think this is pretty decent. I think we've not covered this for probably a couple of years at least, but I think last time we covered it, it was sort of in the middle of the pandemic and there were much more question marks about what the renewals would be like. Would people go back to retail? Would retail actually come back? And it does look like it's come back very strongly, over 90% occupancy. There's not got loads of high street exposure either, although that's bounced back back pretty well too anyway. But I think a lot of the concerns that I would have had the last time we covered it, I I think a lot in the post-COVID world, a lot of things have just gone back to normal, which 
maybe wasn't obvious it would be the case back then. In terms of the valuation, I think it's pretty reasonable at 11.4 times earnings. The prospective yield is pretty good, although that does just depend on the profits. So it's just whether interest rates going up will affect them. Although the loan to value is only 37% anyway. But yeah, I think it's pretty pretty decent. I'm just not sure where the growth would actually come from, but it's possibly cheap enough that it doesn't really need to grow anyway. But it's not something I'd be desperately keen to rebuy. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought things look like they're going, well, certainly better than was, would have been expected a few years ago. And yeah, the, the future does seem more, well, certainly a, a lot more certain. And you've got a decent dividend there and not particularly expensive shares. Appreciate it's not priced for sort of huge growth. I was going to ask, compared with the pre-pandemic figures, how are the earnings doing? Pretty similar. So it had a big loss in 2020 and 2021, which I think is fair. The earnings now, the adjusted earnings are about 28p a share, and that compares to 34p pre-pandemic. So within 20%, I think borrowings are up as well. Since pre-pandemic, borrowings are only 99 million. Oh, no, that's current, that's current borrowings. Ignore that. Borrowings are actually down since the pandemic. Interesting. Yeah, I think they must have sold off a chunk, mm. which would explain, because the, the interest hasn't really gone up like you might have expected. So I, I think they must have sold off a chunk at some point in the interim, probably the three years since we last covered it. Which is, it has been a while. And see everything now. They, uh, yeah, they don't always cite the pre-pandemic figures as they did in twenty twenty one, twenty two. I wonder what the dividends are like. I wonder if they've had any fat dividends. No, they haven't. There's the no other... massive dividends, so they might they might have just used it to pay off the debt. Yeah. The other question I was going to ask: Is there a real estate investment trust that you prefer to British Lanka at the moment, or one that comes to mind? Sikol. I think there's one we've looked, there was, so I haven't looked at it for a couple of years, but one that I did like, and I think it shot up post pandemic, but one I did use like was, it was called Tritax Big Box oh, Reit, I yeah, think it was. Yeah, yeah. And that was like all the big distribution centers and stuff that Amazon, you know, when you drive past an Amazon distribution center, it basically builds those and, and lets them out. But that, that was pretty reasonable. And then obviously in the pandemic, that just shot up. So I'll have a look <laughs> at it actually. I think we covered Seg- Segro a while, well, a couple of years ago as well, and that hit, I remember that shooting up on the back of the pandemic as well, with this sort of rise of, well, not rise, but increased focus on e-commerce. Yeah, that's come back down to earth. So it was, <laughs> it's actually below net asset value now. So it was, so it was trading at about one pound fifty a share in the pan until the pandemic and then it shot up to about two pound fifty for no reason and then it's basically just come back down to one pound fifty again yields about four and a half percent in the pandemic it actually started trading above the net asset value which is very unusual for reese but that's now come back down it's trading at a 21 percent discount to the value of the assets but given how high quality some of those assets are and how many tailwinds mm. you'd think it would have I think at four and a half times yield, 20% discount. I don't think it looks, looks. it might actually be worth a look on the show at some point, but yeah, it looks pretty decent. So I'd probably, I mean, I've not looked at this for sort of probably three years at least, but I'd be more inclined to go for Tritax than, than any others. Do you do you follow okay. any rates apart from, you've got the, the primary health properties. Oh, primary health properties, which I think I've, as interest rates have gone up, I've, I've gone off it quite a lot. But 
Not really. Not really. Right. Shall okay. we move on to Compass Group? Yes. So it's a company we've covered a couple of times before. It's actually quite interesting history. So it's a FTSE 100 listed company now. But it started up during the Second World War in Britain, and it was to provide communal dining to factory workers during the war effort. Anyway, much bigger company now, and they've just had their full year results out with reported full year revenue growth coming in at £31.3 billion, with organic growth of 18.8%, balanced costs across all regions and sectors when ignoring the impact of exchange rates. Both selling prices and volumes were up by 7%, whilst revenue from new business increased by 5%. Underlying operating profit was up 29.6% to £2.1 billion, ignoring the impact of exchange rates. And this reflects strong cost control and an ability to pass on the inflationary pressures onto the customers. It helped drive free cash flow up from £0.8 billion to £1.2 billion. Net debt grew by 700 million to 3.7 billion pounds. Earnings per share came in at 75.4 pence, a little below analyst expectations due to a higher than expected tax and interest charge. And Compass returned around 1.6 billion pounds to shareholders over the year and has raised its final dividend by 27.1% to 28.1 pence a share with a further £500 million share buyback, which has just been announced. Guidance for the new year pointed to high single-digit organic revenue growth, with operating profit growth expected to rise towards 13%, and the shares were down nearly 5% in early trading. In terms of valuation, Compass Group has a market cap of £35 billion and trades at 20.7 times forward earnings, compared with a 10-year average of 21.7. The shares yield about 2%. I thought these were decent results, and it's an obvious beneficiary as more companies outsource their food offerings. But they are expecting growth to moderate a little bit more, and we've seen that sort of benefit from the post-pandemic return to the office it looks like it's overall a very well-run business and its scale can mitigate to some extent those that, that cost inflation and it's been able so far to pass that on i think you've seen net debt creep up and you do wonder whether the buyback was the best use of the money but overall i think it's pretty decent i don't think it's an industry that really excites me but i i think overall the results that it's producing are good it certainly is reflected in the valuation though so i think you know to some some degree you're seeing a you know slight disappointment there don't have that much more to add to it sam what are your thoughts on compass is it one that you're is growing on you we're not i don't really like the industry i find it a difficult industry i wouldn't say to understand but in terms of to sort of i struggle to see the growth in the industry i don't really have any that's not to say it won't grow but i don't really have any whereas if we compare that to tritax that we're talking about it's obviously in an, in an industry that is going to grow you know if we look at airtel africa go through a lot of the other businesses that we like it's similar whereas with this it, it might grow but i i don't really know so i just find it quite difficult because of that and i think if you're not sure about the growth you're definitely not gonna pay 21 times earnings for it 
which I think for the figures it's putting up is quite expensive. So yeah, for me, it just at that valuation and that industry, I just wouldn't look any further. Okay. That's quite a short analysis, but it it's, is what it, it is. It is fine. It, it, and yeah, we just we choose the companies that are reporting and Compass was one of I them. I wasn't criticising uh, you. No, 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 no. <laughs> but no, I think, yeah, a bit of lack of interest from both of us with Compass. Not, not one that excites us. What about Cranswick then? Cranswick does excite me, actually. So we Ooh. have covered it a couple of times before. It's always been a good quality business, in my opinion. And they have come with, out with their half-year results. And revenue was up 12%. So for anyone who doesn't know Cranswick, they basically produce meats and sell them to supermarkets like pork and poultry and stuff like that. So they have come out with half your results and revenue was up 12% to 1.25 billion. Adjusted group operating profit is up 25% to 85 million. And we're going with the adjusted figures because they've adjusted them down. So we know they're fairly reliable. Adjusted operating margin is up from 6.1% to 6.8%. And adjusted earnings per share is up 13.8% to 112.2p a share. They said the 12% revenue growth reflects effective inflation recovery and resilient volume growth across all four core UK food categories. They've highlighted a positive contribution from rapidly expanding pig farming operations, robust returns from effective deployment of capital and tight cost control, lifted adjusted operating margin from 6.1% to 6.8%. They've said the £31.7 million acquisition of Elsham Link indoor pig farming business further diversifies the group's pig farming operations and adds additional feed milling capability with self-sufficiency in UK pigs now over 50%. They've increased the dividend by 10.2% to 22.7p a share. Their return on capital employed is up from 159 to 16.4%. Net debt is £10.1 million lower at £51 million. And they've got a robust balance sheet and low leverage with £250 million bank facility providing significant headroom. For the outlook, they've said, whilst we remain cautious about current market and wider economic and geopolitical conditions, the outlook for the current financial year ending 30 March 24 is now expected to be at the upper end of our current market consensus. And in the slides, they've highlighted they've got 33 years of unbroken dividend growth. The leverage ratio is 0.6x of adjusted EBITDA, and that's well below the 2x target. And the free cash flow is up 67% 67% to 78.3 million. In terms of the breakdown by category, revenue for pork is up 12.2%, poultry is up 6.9%, convenience is up 13.9%, and gourmet is up 18%. We've talked about the investment strategy. So for the consolidating, they've highlighted the £62 million multi phased expansion of the whole fresh pork facility. £11 million cut meats capacity and efficiency enhancements, £7 million upgrade of Riverside Fresh Pork retail parking facility, £3 million investment in fresh pork robotic automation, and £3 million retail packing upgrade at Gourmet Bacon. For expansion, they've made a £23 million investment in a new Worsley Hummus facility, £9 million investment to double the slow cook capacity at at Whole Cooked Meats, £7 million investment to increase roasting and cooking capability at Cook's Poultry. And for diversification, they've highlighted a £10 million first stage investment in expanded dry pet food production at Pet Products. Currently, return on capital 16.4%. So if they can get that on all that additional capital expenditure, I think that would be very good. 
They've said for the supermarkets, the Tesco and Sainsbury's focus on value is driving strong growth for them. M&S focus on food continues to drive footfall and Aldi and Lidl growth remain strong but softening. In terms of the sales channels, UK retail is up 14% and that's 76% of all sales channels. Manufacturing is up 18% and that's 14% of all channels. Food service is up 28% but that's only 5% and export is down 27% but that's only 5% as well. So they're talking about the expansion. So they've actually got new. What's how do you pronounce charcuterie? Uh, charcuterie, I think. Well, I Sh- don't quote me on that. Oh, well, right, okay. They've got new <laughs> charcuterie <laughs> selection packs through Continental Foods, and that includes Ramona's hum- Ramona's hummus, which I don't think I've bought, but I have seen in supermarkets. But that's the number one hummus brand by volume. I'm not sure why they've got that really, but. They're obviously looking to diversify. And they've said that the onboarding pets at home business is underway with further opportunities identified with pets at home for the pet food. So in terms of the valuation, the adjusted price to earnings is 18 and the yield is 2%. I think 18 times earnings is quite expensive, but it's putting up good figures. It has for a number of years. I do like the business. My only concern with it is... Maybe they'll go and acquire all these great brands and they'll become like a Unilever or a Wreck-It and we'll look back and say that was genius. But I just think they've, they're very, very good at the meat production. I think going into pet food makes sense because you know that's just another use for some of the meat that they might not otherwise be using. I think that's really smart. But then when they're buying hummus, I do question if that's the best use of capital now if they buy that and they build out this portfolio of fantastic brands and fair enough but i would rather see them focus on what they're good at and if they can't do that think about returning the money to shareholders but i don't know maybe maybe just see how it goes with the hummus and whatever else they've got because they are doing i think such a good job across the board you know if they think they can go and invest that money in hummus and still get a 16 percent return on capital then i think shareholders should give them the benefit of the doubt but not sure if I'd pay 18 times earnings for it, but I do really like this business. And it's a business where the more we've covered it, the more I have liked it. John, what about you? Now, I'd largely echo what you'd said. I suppose one thing kind of more to reflect back is what do you think of it in terms of the sort of growing green agenda and how it might not be seen as sort of ESG or that the potential for fewer people you know going forward consuming as much meat is that would that be a concern for you buying shares or you know and and therefore sort of owning this business probably not i think i don't know i think people will always carry on eating meat i think the main change will be i think once the technology is there i think it'll be more lab grown meat rather than slaughtered meat but I don't see any reason why Kranzik couldn't do that, but I don't see a scenario where in 20 years' time we're all sat eating Impossible Burgers or Beyond Meat Burgers instead of the real thing. And I actually don't mind the Impossible Burgers. I'm probably, I I would probably describe myself as a a flexitarian. So my girlfriend's vegetarian. And, you know, if if we're cooking together, we will cook vegetarian food. But if we go out, I will usually pick a meat dish. (laughs) But I don't see any reason why people would move completely. Because a lot of the issues that meat has, it's more to do with like the fact that the meat is being having to be raised and slaughtered. If you could grow it in a lab, which we can do, it's just too expensive at the minute to sell it commercially. I don't see any reason why people would switch away from it. So I think they'll be fine, even if they're not having to raise the animals anymore. If anything, the cost might be lower because I, I don't think they'll put the prices down once it gets to a yeah. 
once it gets to a point where they can be doing that. Um, I suppose this is high, it's, well, this is sort of high welfare quality UK produced or British produced meat. Yeah. And you've also, you know, you've got stuff like, for example, like there is, there has been more of a drive. I mean, we've seen it in the pig business, but there's been more of a drive for like British pork after Brexit. Yeah. And yeah. stuff like that it's from an ESG, I don't know if it's ESG, but they've, they've got a lot, <laughs> although they might have some headwinds, I think they've got just as many tailwinds. Yeah, yeah, no, no, fair enough. And is most of this exported then? No, Do you know I how think much most goes of it the domestic yeah, so, market? Yeah, so the export market's only 5% of the business, 76% okay. is UK, re- UK retail. So most of it is going to the big retailers, so like Tesco, uh, Sainsbury's, like basically that's where it's going. Yeah, yeah. I think a good company. Yeah, I like it. Shall we move on to Polar Capital, a business yeah. I don't know much about at all? No, I think we have covered it, though. It's an active fund manager, which is listed on the AIM. It has 13 investment teams and 28 funds. Generally, well, quite a generalisation, but quite techie, pharma, that sort of thing. But they do have quite a number, so some are sort of more emerging markets in value. Anyway, they had their half-year results out with their average assets under management falling by 3% over the first half of the year to £19.4 billion. Improving fund performance wasn't enough to offset the net outflows of around £600 million over the period. And the lower asset base and reduced average management charge meant that fee income also fell by 4.4%. To seventy-six and a half million pounds, reduction in revenue drove a fall in operating profit from twenty-five point eight million pounds to twenty-two and a half million pounds, and free cash flow fell from nine point five million to two point seven million pounds. This largely reflected an increase in the tax payments. Polar ended the period with net cash of seventy-two point eight million, down from one hundred seven million pounds, excluding lease liabilities. Polar commented that investors had adopted a risk-off stance during a challenging period and looking to the long term, the group remains confident that its differentiated range of sectors and strategy leave it well-placed to perform. The interim dividend was unchanged at 14 pence a share and the shares were up about 1.7% in early trading. In terms of valuation, the group has a market cap of £463 million and trades at 13 times forward earnings, which is broadly in line with their 10-year average. And it has a prospective dividend yield of currently about 10%. It's not a company that I follow closely, but the outflows were moderating and funds with the US tech and healthcare sectors had recovered fairly strongly after a difficult 2022 the group say that they're moving more further into funds with sustainability focus and emerging markets, but these are still less than 10% of their assets under management. And whilst they're trendy, it's difficult to know whether they can actually change the fundamentals. The dividend as well, if earnings aren't really coming back, it's very chunky at the moment and sort of burning through the existing cash pile unless things change, you wouldn't expect that to remain at that sort of level. Overall, I'm not very keen. I'm someone who does do a lot of passive investment, and I think it's very difficult to consistently beat the markets. And particularly, I think if you're 
I, I, you get advantages, you can get advantages of scale, or you can be sort of, I suppose, diverging a lot. I think it, it's it, it, either way, it's very, very difficult to con- consistently perform. And I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable backing Polar Capital with my own money, either as an owner or as an investor in, in their funds, um, quite honestly. And I think as things have improved economically, it, I think this is quite disappointing. So yeah, I wouldn't be looking to buy shares. I wouldn't be interested in it either. If I want to underperform, I can do it on my own without paying their fees. And I do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm looking at the Artificial Intelligence Fund. They've hopped on that bandwagon, as as you would, in fairness. Top 10 positions. Can you guess any? Well, I suspect that our last company of the week is going to be quite a big part of that, NVIDIA. Yep, second biggest, 6.7%. Microsoft. Microsoft's Meta. Meta's not in the top 10, but it could be in there. The top 10 only makes up 38%. Amazon. It could be in there. Amazon is in there. Alphabet's in there. Is it Apple? I mean, it's not what no. I think of. No. There's a, they've got Relics in there as well. Okay, yeah. Those are the only ones that I recognize, but I don't think, yeah. I don't think I'd ever be interested in it. It's, it's interesting sometimes to have a play and see what's in the portfolios. Should we pick another one? There was it. They had a they had a UK value one actually. We'll oh yeah, that, that'll UK be. value opportunities fund. We'll see if they've got any favourites of the show in there. Boohoo! They only show the top ten positions. So it would have gone okay. down so much. It wouldn't be. <laughs> so first one's Premier Foods. Okay. Second is Glaxo. Interesting. I'm surprised by that. Third is Gamma Communications. Okay, interesting. But these are this is quite um there's obviously quite so there's fifty four holdings, but the top one's only three percent anyway. They've also got M and S at two point seven percent. That's the fifth biggest. Mm-hmm. Dunelm sixth biggest. And I don't really know any of the rest. I think it's a lot of the others are are aim listed. Okay. Um we'll see should we find one more, we'll see if they've got anything. I wonder if the income opportunities is UK. I'll try the Probably. income opportunities fund. Well, yeah, it's not young again much in the S and P stocks, are you? Forced some of the UK. banks, some of the tobaccos. Actually, it's got Berkshire Hathaway in the top five. A business famously like known for never paying a dividend. <laughs> They've got Mastercard in there, but it does it does look to be more US US focused actually. But yeah, interesting to look. But yeah, I, I would never <laughs> okay. be, I'd never buy any of any of them. Fine. Um, Fine. There's a handful of managers that I'd possibly give my money to, but you, you're talking like the Buffets of this world and the Ackmans. Fair enough. And otherwise, you'd stick with the index? Uh, or yourself? Um, or myself. Well, yeah, usually myself. <laughs> but at least I don't take a fee off myself, so that's something. No, no. So, no, should we move on to Britvic? Yeah, so a company we have traditionally liked on the show. We have. So, Britvic have come out with their full year results. For anyone who doesn't know Britvic... Drinks include Robinsons, Seven Up, Fruit Shoot, Gatorade, J2O, Lipton's Iced Tea, Mountain Dew. They've got the the UK license for all of the PepsiCo brands, so you know Pepsi Max, Tango, stuff. All that's well, just goes on and on, really. But some really really strong brands, particularly in the UK. They've also got their own portfolio in Brazil. However, the Brazil portfolio doesn't include Pepsi. But again, it does have, actually, well, I don't actually know the brands that well in Brazil, but uh, an excited part of the business anyway. And then they've got some brands 
other international as well, which I think is mainly Ireland and France. So they come out with their full year results and revenue was up 6.6% to 1.748 billion and adjusted earnings for interest and tax was up 5.9% to 218.4 million. Adjusted earnings before interest and tax margin decreased to 12.5%. That was a 10 basis point decrease, so it's down from 12.6. Return on invested capital is up from 16.4 to 17.9%. They've said demand remains strong. Modest volume declined due to tough Q4 comparables of the hot summer in Europe in 2022 and poor weather in July and August 2023. Share buyback ongoing, 75 million repurchased over the last 12 months, and that is on a market cap of 2.1 billion. So it's, it's a decent amount it's yes it's like 3.7 percent and that's on top of the dividend so that's actually that's pretty decent in fairness so they said pepsi max is actually the number one soft drink brand in great britain retail and that is retail they've stressed that which i was surprised by they've said the taste is preferred by 70 percent of consumers which Mm. i was aware of because of the sweeter taste it does actually perform better than coke in blind taste tests which is really a testament to the power of the coke brand if anything people like the taste of pepsi more and still buy coke tango is the fastest growing fruit flavored carbonate drink in the uk They've acquired Jimmy's Iced Coffee in the UK, and that's the fastest growing brand in that market with a 7% market share. Free cash flow, they've highlighted that was up 1 million to 129.8 million. In the Great Britain part of the business, the volume was down 2.3%, and the average retail price was up 10.6 to 67.9p a unit. And that's given a net revenue increase of 7.9%. So it looks like the majority of the revenue, well, all the revenue has come from raising the prices and then they've dropped 2% volume. I'm surprised. It would have been nice to see the volume change a bit more and possibly increase. But I'm surprised how aggressive they've been on the price rises. I think 10.6% increase in a year is quite a lot. So to only have a 2% drop off, I actually think is pretty decent. Probably a testament to the power of the brands. In terms of revenue year on year, Pepsi's up 7.7%. 7-Up's down 3.2%. Tango's up 20.7%. Robinson's is up 2.6%. J2O's up 10.7%. Fruit Shoot's up 4.6%. And Lipton's is up to 22.3%. In Brazil, volume was down just under 1%. And the price was up 1%. So that's basically flat year over year. Which is quite disappointing. They have highlighted that new brand innovation is now 32% of revenue. So they, I think they got started in Brazil by acquiring a few brands and then they're now innovating and starting their own ones. And it looks like their own ones are actually starting to perform a bit better, whereas a lot of the acquired brands are just not. I don't think they're doing what they'd hoped. But one of the things we do like about this business, which we will get onto, is that you, you do have the emerging markets opportunity, but it's not really baked into the price. If the Brazil is a complete flop, it doesn't really matter. And then in other international volume was down 2.7%, but the prices were up 8.6%. And revenue was up 24% in France private label, labeled down in France brands, up 9.4% in Ireland and up 13.1% in other markets. The... Pepsi Max five-year compound annual growth rate is 7.4%, and that now has a market share of 32%. Tango's is 14% five-year compound annual growth rate, and that has a market share of 9.4%. 
And Lipton's is 20.8% compound annual growth rate, and that was a 66.6% market share. In terms of the valuation, business trades at a price range of 13.7 and has a yield of 3.66% now. I think these results are all right. I think the revenue increase of 6.6% is okay. That is an adjust, that's at constant exchange rate on the actual exchange rate, it's 8.1%. I think that's okay. I think you're getting a 3.66% yield and you're probably getting another 3, 3.5% from buybacks. So you're probably getting a 7% return on this. It's not that expensive at 13.7, probably the cheapest we've seen it. It's a business that I do like a lot and I like the brands. The Brazil performance is disappointing, but it's priced so cheaply that if they crack it, that's fantastic. But if they don't, it I, it doesn't really matter. I wouldn't say it's baked into the price at all. I think it's a well-run business with some very high quality brands. So yeah, although these aren't the best set of results we've ever seen, I think the volume drops were slightly disappointing. Given the price, I don't think you can really complain. I think it's trading at pretty fair valuation. John, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I really like it. I think it's got some fantastic brands in it. And like you say, it's the cheapest we've seen it in quite a while. It's impressive that they're able to hike the prices by 10% and only see a 2% drop off. And we've seen businesses that are more expensive, like Reckitt, for example, and they can't, I know this like the slightly different sector, but they just can't do that. So it, it, it is impressive and de- decent yields as well. I would be quite keen on Britvic shares. And I think Brazil, yes, it hasn't fed through right now, but I think in the future, I'd still be optimistic. So yeah, I, I think Britvic would be a favourite. I think the shift in Brazil to their own brands rather than acquiring does seem to be starting to get a little traction. Mm. But if it doesn't, it's it's incredibly low risk because it's not really priced yeah. in. You're not buying it for Brazil. That's just a bonus. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it, it, it's got a bit more to it over AG Bar uh, on, that, on that front. Should we move on to a business that last time we covered it, it did have quite a lot of expectations priced <laughs> in? Yeah, and I think it still does. It's NVIDIA. So it's the US tech company. It's absolutely huge now. It's, well, started off kind of just with more like graphics processing, but it's grown a lot since. There has been AI, which has really become much more trendy and I suppose had much more in the way of real world applications, which is part of the reason why NVIDIA has done so well recently. Anyway, they had their third quarter results out with revenue more than tripling to $18.1 billion, which was ahead of market expectations. They were expecting around $16.1 billion. And this was largely driven by the data center division, which has benefited from high levels of activity in the development of AI. Underlying operating profit rose from $1.5 billion to $11.6 billion. And this reflected higher revenue, higher gross margins, and only a relatively modest increase in costs. The jump in profits drove an improvement in free cash flow to $7 billion, compared with $0.2 billion outflow. NVIDIA ended the period with net cash of $8.6 billion. And going forward, fourth quarter revenue is expected to land within 2% of $20 billion, ahead of market forecasts, which we're looking at around $17.8 billion. 
Shares were actually down about one and a half percent in after hours trading. And as you say, Sam, there are huge expectations uh, on NVIDIA. When it comes to its valuation, it has a market cap of 1.18 trillion and it trades at 31 times forward earnings, which is actually below its 10 year average of 35. And it, I mean, it has a tiny, tiny dividend yield of 0.03%, but you wouldn't expect it to be a company that's paying out very much in terms of its earnings. I thought these results were fantastic. And Again, it would seem that it has an incredible future ahead of it with the chips powering the AI revolution and the other big players purchasing the product. So, you know, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Amazon, they're, it, it's sort of partly based around NVIDIA. I suppose some areas of concern, valuation is one, it's very expensive, but when it's putting up figures like this and the future of AI, it seems very bright at the moment. You wouldn't expect it to be cheap. And I guess there are always the sort of ongoing geopolitical tensions with semiconductor exports from China and the relationship with the US. But I think that's I think that's largely taken into account. So extremely high quality business. I think one in part that's going to be difficult to understand, some of it is very technical, but from my understanding of it, it it really is fantastic and it's i mean it's, it's massive but it would seem if things are going as people expect them to be going or where ai is going it, you could conceivably see this getting a lot bigger sam what are your thoughts on nvidia and these results i think it's a bit of a tricky one actually so i'd, I'd obviously i'd heard a lot of people were shorting it because of the valuation but then these results are just so good that it's now coming at 30 times earnings, forward earnings. Whereas before it may, I'm making up a number, it might have been 100 before. Mm, but yeah. the, the earnings have gone up so much that it's just grown into its valuation. Yeah. I mean, 30 times earnings for a business growing at 300% a year on the surface isn't that expensive. <laughs> the The issue I have with it is, and we, and we saw this with a lot of the COVID stuff, it's probably not going to carry on growing at 300% a year. And mm. The issue I have with NVIDIA is that it's selling hardware, really. And it does fantastically. And it is in an industry where if you're going to sell hardware, it's probably one of the best ones because people do probably upgrade every few years. You're not going to buy an NVIDIA chip or whatever and keep it for 20 years. So it's a fairly short product cycle, but it is still selling hardware. It's not like it's got these recurring revenues. So if you've got this trend like AI, similar to what we saw with like the cryptocurrency a few years ago, you might get to a point where the people that need it have it and you've then got to wait a couple of years for that next cycle to come along or the next trend, which there's no guarantee they'll be at the front of. So although it's had a really, really good year, if the earnings start to drop, which they could do, it's got a long way to fall because although it's only at 30 times earnings, that's on massively inflated figures. I really do admire the business, but I just think, You've got to be very careful paying 30 times earnings for a business of this size because just to justify the current valuation, it still has to do a lot of growing. But in terms of the business performance, you can't... I don't think there's anything in these results you can create. It's it's a perfect quarter. It's It's got to be up there with the, the best quarters we've ever covered on the show. I mean, trebling revenue and operating profit up from 1.5 billion to 11 billion is just ridiculous. <laughs> it sounds like the sort of numbers you'd make up it is really, really impressive. But if they can't sustain this, it's got a long way to drop. 
and it's so expensive anyway that even if it can sustain it, are you actually going to get a market beat in return out of it? I think there's a lot of risk buying it now. Obviously, the time to buy it would have been five years ago. So around the time you wanted it in the fantasy portfolio. <laughs> yeah, but it's easy. it was easier to say it when it was the fantasy portfolio and the risks. It wasn't your own money on the table. So I, I think, yeah, it was a pick for the fantasy portfolio. but um, It was vetoed by me. I, I didn't buy it personally, which probably tells you a lot. Yeah, but no, really, really fantastic business. Really enjoy covering it, but... I don't think I'd be, I wouldn't sleep well at night owning it, especially <laughs> if I'd bought it recently. Okay, fine, fair enough. So, of the companies this week, then Sam, what would what would uh, take your pick? I think first choice would probably be between Cranswick and Britvic. It's a tough one. I'd probably go Britvic on valuation, but I think Cranswick is a very, very. I mean, Nvidia's arguably the highest quality business, but it's just too expensive. Least favorite. Probably Polar Capital, at least with the other ones you're buying businesses rather than just paying someone else to buy businesses for you. That's, you know, Polar Capital might be very good at what they do. It's just not my style of investing. What about you? I think I go Britvic definitely first. I, not that I dislike Groundswork, but I feel happier, I think, owning Britvic. And then, yeah, Polar Capital would be the last choice. Right. I think that's everything then. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.